Thunderdome is simple. Get to the weapons, use them any way you can. I know you won't break the rules. There aren't any. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome! is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people trying to cross the border And politicians build a new world Minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in the guns. Always ask for more All we buy is made on foreign shores Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay I've gotta be free The way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damn UN Broadcast of Tap into the Truth, and we are indeed in the Thunderdome. Uh, it is midterm election day. Uh, time of the live broadcast, of course, being November the 8th, 2022, just a few minutes before 7 o'clock, and uh, we're already seeing election night coverage begin in some locations. I've got two great conversations coming up with you. Uh, you'll get to hear me talk with Mark Burrell. He is the CEO of Defend American Liberty, as well as the author of Rediscovering the American Covenant. Uh, have that conversation coming up at the bottom of this first hour. And then I also have a conversation with Reverend James Harden. He's the president and CEO of Compass Care which a lot of you will probably recognize as being the crisis pregnancy center operators that were firebombed in Buffalo, New York, not long after the initial firebombing that took place a little further out west. Bottom line is, 
a lot of targeting going on. And the midterm elections really has a lot to do with these particular folks, both of them clearly men of faith. But uh, today being the midterm elections, if everything turns out the way we're expecting it to turn out, then it's not just enough to get the right people elected today. We must then pursue, doggedly pursue, keep their feet to the fire, make sure that these newly minted elected officials do what they are being sent there to do, and that's go represent we, the people. All right, so I mentioned that the coverage is already underway. This was demonstrated over at CNN a little bit earlier today, despite the White House's repeated insistence that democracy itself was on the 2022 midterm ballot. It would appear that not a lot of people have put it very high in their list of issues to vote on. Now, first and foremost, when we say democracy, and we're talking about what the White House is talking about, when we're talking about what Nancy Pelosi is discussing, when we're talking about what anybody with a D stuck at the end of their name, or an overwhelming majority of people that claim the title journalist, when they use the term democracy, now, it means something very different than what we typically think of. Basically, democracy in their mind is one-party rule from the Democrat-slash-Socialist Party. That's really what they're looking for. Anyway, Dana Bash was uh, part of a panel. I think there was like five people on the panel. It included uh, Jake Tapper, Abby Phillips, Chris Wallace, uh, Cassie Hunt, uh, somebody else. I'm not all that familiar with. I mean, Chris Wallace, I'm still kind of getting used to him not being on, on Fox. Uh, Jake Tapper, of course, is he's a guy who occasionally accidentally does journalism, so I, I've given him a few thumbs up on some of the stuff that he's done over the years, but um, not, as, not as often as I would like in order to give him full credit for being a journalist. But anyway, Dana was on here, and... Uh, she seemed quite concerned when they started their election night coverage. She seemed very concerned that uh, that democracy wasn't even a top five issue for the voters that they had been talking to in the exit polls at that point. Not even a top five issue. Uh, quoting here, the numbers in these exits do not line up with what we were seeing in the polling data going into this election about what people cared about and the order in which they ranked it. This was from Miss Hunt. So we have had a lot of questions throughout this time about new voters, people that hadn't been in there before, that were perhaps not getting captured by the polling. So maybe this is a sign that we're going to see a little bit more of that than we expected. We obviously don't know yet. Clearly not as they were doing this before any of the polls had closed yet. Just doing exit polling. Uh, back to uh, quoting now Dana Bash. And you know what's missing from 
this one, two, three, four, five, top five issues. <coughs> Excuse me. Democracy. Jake Tapper responded by saying, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's missing. It's not even a top five issue. Oh, no. Not a top five issue, says the great journalist. It's not even in here, Bash continued, saying that, quote, that's not to say that it's not an issue for people, but it doesn't even come close. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Sorry, you got a little Gomer Powell. Uh, <laughs> while he was in the midst of the Marine Corps going on there. Jack Tapper, of course, had to add that it's not the issue. And I seem to recall a lot of people, a lot of people saying it's not an issue. It's not the issue. It's not an issue. I seem to recall that because I was one of those people saying that a lot. A lot of my guests were saying that a lot. A lot of people that typically vote Democrat were saying that a lot. It's not a mystery. It's not a big surprise. It's not just all of a sudden out of the blue from out of nowhere. What? No one cares about democracy? We've seen through your little games, boys and girls. Personally, I don't even know why they're doing this little uh, group meeting over at CNN. Nobody should watch CNN for election night coverage. Nobody should be tuning in unless you just want to get Funny moments like this. And it is a funny moment. It is not even a top five issue. Oh, no. It's not an issue at all. Democracy is really only online if you actually do vote for the party that wants you to vote for democracy because they're the ones trying to take it away. First and foremost, conservatives, and by extension, a majority of Republicans who often claim more conservatism than they exhibit, uh, they typically want a constitutionally federated republic. We institute certain democratic principles in the operation of that republic, uh, but we don't have a democracy. So if you want to use the, the terminology American democracy in an effort to try and make it easier for people to understand those very scary, fancy words of constitutionally federated republic, which nobody seems to want to even believe is a real thing anymore, well then, okay, we'll say American democracy. But American democracy, as it's traditionally been understood, is nowhere close to what the Democrats are pushing now. They want you to believe the dark Brandon memes. They want you to believe that conservatives, that mega mooga maga ooga ooga booga maga super mega Republicans are the most dangerous force to ever walk the planet. You literally have certain members of the Democratic Party who went a long way towards helping get Joe Biden elected by virtue of helping him win the state of South Carolina. Uh, we have certain esteemed members of the elected Democratic hierarchy that are going around trying to convince you that if you vote for Republicans, you're voting for Nazis. When, in fact, it's not the mega, maga, mooga, mooga Republicans that are likely to be Nazis. Again, Nazis were leftist guys. 
Now, we may be a different type of fascist. We're not, but uh, for the sake of the uh, mental gymnastics that these folks are trying to pull, if you really want to express Nazism, you got to start with the side that leans to the left side of the political spectrum. That's the Democrats. That's you guys. You're the same guys that are talking about that existential threat to, to democracy. The whole time, you're also trying to tell people, don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe the results of this election. Questioning elections is unconstitutional. Uh, questioning elections is unprecedented. Questioning elections is so dastardly and un-American, it can't be tolerated. Those people are fascists. And oh yeah, by the way, if we lose, don't believe the election, the Republicans stole it. Yeah, how you're getting that square peg into that round hole, we've seen through it. That's why, Dana, that's why democracy is not a top five issue. That's why nobody's worried about what's going to happen to democracy. And the fact that you guys are making a big deal about this is also part of why nobody's watching your CNN network or going to watch your election night coverage. Uh, check things out over at the Daily Wire or at the Blaze. You'll get better coverage there, along with better conversation. Anyway, let us continue uh, before we have that uh, interview here in just a little bit with uh, Mark Burrell. I've spent some time talking about John Fetterman. We've spent some time talking about a stroke. We've spent some time talking about him before his stroke. In fact, I made a point the last uh, week and a half to really drive home the story of him using his nonprofit while he was mayor to get his vice mayor and the vice president of the nonprofit that was established to help revitalize the town he was mayor of to manipulate buying a 75000 no, no, a $750,000 parcel of property and then to be able to buy it for $1,100. They did this. This guy, when he's fully recovered, and I, I've made the statement, forget about how he looks now while he's still trying to get better, and I do hope he gets better, full recovery, all that, but what makes this guy dangerous is two years from now, if he has everything going on, what this guy looks like if he does become a fully recovered Fetterman. The type of evil darkness and the standard everyday bit of the uber leftist that we do not want in play, not just in the Senate, but anywhere in elected politics, that's what this guy represents. I mean, he's somebody that literally is to the left of Bernie Sanders. Anyway, despite all that, there is something that hasn't been talked about very much, and, and I thought it was worth bringing it up because Dr. Mark Siegel made a really good point. See, Mark Siegel is a name you've probably seen. He does a lot of television news stuff when it comes to medical stuff. He's been involved a lot uh, with multiple networks. He was speaking on Fox News. So here we are uh, on Election Day, and 
Mark Siegel, who is, by all accounts, a prominent internal medicine doctor, pointed out that although the public has spent a lot of time focusing on Fetterman's brain impairment because of the stroke, nobody was really talking about the cardiac problems that's associated with it. This stroke did not just come from out of the blue. It was an aspect of a cardiac event, and a lot of us have just kind of forgotten about it because we're sitting back and we're talking about how cognitive he really is, the difficulties, and whether or not he could do the job of being a senator, which clearly the answer is still no. Uh, but what happens if he has more cardiac issues, which is highly probable at this point? Anyway, quoting uh, from the conversation, we talked about how concerned I am and others are about the impact of the stroke and his comprehension ability and his ability to make decisions and execu <laughs> executive function, which he'd have to do daily in office. And he'd have to be uh, juggling many balls at once. This, of course, is from Stiegel. He was talking to Tucker Carlson at the time. He continued saying, and a lot of us have a lot of concern about that and have been calling for his records for transparency, which he hasn't shown. He's shown some courage, as we've said, but no transparency. Then Dr. Siegel kind of segued into a discussion of Fetterman's underlying heart problems, saying, quote, but you know what we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about his heart. And here's a lot of info about his heart that's very concerning. Back in 2017, a real cardiologist saw him, uh, and this individual said that his legs were swollen and his heart was weak. And he put him on medication. And you know what Fetterman did? And of course, Siegel was asking this rhetorically. He didn't show up to a doctor for five years, and he didn't take that medication. Doctors would all be horrified by that. Instead, he had the stroke, and then he went back and saw the same doctor again at that point. And the doctor got involved, and they put a pacemaker in and a defibrillator in. So Fetterman's got some pretty serious heart issues on him. Fetterman himself has said that his stroke was due to a blood clot from the heart. That's very significant because a study out of the journal called Stroke, very prominent journal, looking at over 6,000 people from Great Britain, well, it's found that if your blood clot comes from the heart, you have more than a 60% chance of either not living for the next five years or having another stroke within those five years. Greater than 60% chance. Greater than 60%. Now, Dr. Siegel concluded his discussion with Tucker by saying, quote, So I say to the voters of Pennsylvania tonight, who are ready to check a box tomorrow, which this was a conversation the day before. I think before you check a box, you should consider a statistic like that. 
greater than 60% chance that someone like Fetterman, with a heart in his condition, having had a stroke, will either have a reoccurrence or won't survive the term. So the point being that Fetterman runs a very high risk that if he does fully recover from this stroke, that he's probably going to have another stroke. And that's most likely his best case scenario. That's most likely the best thing that's going to happen to it. More than that, he's likely to die. And who knows who might be appointed to complete his term. I can't imagine it could be much worse, but I have been proven wrong almost every time I make that statement. I'd rather not be proven wrong this time. Uh, Pennsylvania, I know it's a little late at this moment, but guys, if you're still checking the box for Fetterman, you just must not want the Pennsylvania or the United States of America to do well. well let's take that mid-hour break. It's a smidge early, but I want to make sure we got plenty of time to get the conversation in with Mark, which we will get together uh, just after this very brief break. You guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Recently, Brazilian citizens narrowly re-elected dedicated socialist Luiz de Silva as president. This seems to represent the possible death of liberty throughout much of the Western Hemisphere. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the United States is governed by socialists. Chile is socialist, along with Argentina, Venezuela, Mexico, and Canada. Socialists dominate the central governments. In his first words as Brazilian president-elect, de Silva vowed to quickly reconstruct the very soul of that nation away from the small government pro-freedom ideals of the Bolsonaro administration. Across the pond in Great Britain, the hope of more liberty, lower taxes, and energy prices, whoa, were quickly dashed when the socialist globalist elites crashed stock markets around the world when newly elected Prime Minister Truss announced she would fight to increase oil and natural gas production, lower taxes, and ease regulations against businesses of all sizes. The last thing the socialist globalist elites want is for the people around the world, including here in the United States, is to live free and healthy lives with solid, intact families and a thriving economy to prosper in. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not their decision. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience, 3 p.m. Eastern weekdays via theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. Getting those shots out for 5 to 11-year-olds is going to provide a lot of comfort 
to American families. Horses barely running them over, people being strapped. A horrific video of the CBP officers on horse on horses using brutal and inappropriate measures against innocent people. We have a secure border. The border is, in fact, secure. The border is closed. The border is secure. The border is secure. The border is closed. We've been unequivocal in that. On the issue of Afghanistan. And to that end, we have seen a successful drawdown of the embassy. I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in, in Georgia. This is all about keeping working folks in Ordinary folks that I grew up with from being able to vote. The reconciliation package would cost zero dollars. The cost of these bills in terms of adding to the deficit is zero. Some have expressed publicly that they're not comfortable with the 3.5, even though zero costs zero dollars. Zero. 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 This bill is fully paid for and will not raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. Let me say that again. Be crystal clear. No one making... Less than $400,000 a year will pay a single additional penny in tax for all these things that were in the in, in the Build Back Better plan. If you're a husband and wife, school teacher, and a cop, you're paying at a higher rate than the average person making a billion dollars a year is. My plans do not add to inflationary pressure. The Build Back Better agenda will help reduce inflation, will help cut costs for the American people. If we pass the other two things I'm trying to get done, we will, in fact, reduce inflation. Inflation is going to come down next year. Inflation will come down next year. These inflation uh, rises will be transitory, that they will come back down next year. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. And I'm not being facetious. And I mean it. Not a joke. For real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I really mean it. I mean this. I'm not being solicitous. Not a joke. Constitutional grounds. The hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase. And to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hello, America. This is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap, Tap Into the Truth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. It is my honor once again to bring to you a first-time guest here on the show. He is the CEO of Defend American Liberty, and he is the author of Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Burrell. Mark, first and foremost, thank you so very much for joining me today. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation and uh, certainly hope that you are doing well today. 
I am, Tim. In fact, uh, my legs are a little sore. I just spent three hours passing out voter guides. And uh, I tell you, I'm excited about what I see here in Ohio, even though uh, I am originally from Pennsylvania, and I'm very uh, carefully watching what's happening in those races as well. All right. Uh, actually, knowing that you were originally from Pennsylvania, I, before we jumped into anything else, I was kind of hoping to get your thoughts on exactly what we're looking at with this uh, Senate race in Pennsylvania. Uh, we've got uh, Fetterman on the one hand, and we've got Oz on the other. And there's been all kinds of discussion from the beginning of this race uh, up until these last few days where polling data suggests that maybe uh, Oz is going to pull this off at the end. Love to get your thoughts, though, for the uh, old home state. Yeah, I still stay in touch with folks. Uh, a lot of my families in Pennsylvania. I'm originally from Bucks County, which is just outside of Philadelphia. And uh, what they're telling me is that they are seeing a shift. They feel it. And uh, I'm also hearing just about uh, things in Bucks County in general. Are, it appears to be shifting more red, and that's, that's really good news. So I, I'm definitely optimistic that Dr. Oz can pull this out. I think he's going to win the vote. I'm just hoping that the vote is, uh, you know, tallied correctly and promptly in, uh, in the great state of Pennsylvania. Uh, I hate to see this thing drug out and then, of course, bring doubt into the result. But, yeah. uh, but I'm very optimistic in what I see in Pennsylvania tonight. Uh, Pennsylvania has some unique uh, counting rules that, by their very nature, uh, requires a little more time than most of the rest of the country. Uh, it would be really easy to drag that out further if you really wanted to. Uh, one of the points I've been making uh, for quite a while uh, when you look at that particular race is forget about where Fetterman is now. Obviously, he's still trying to recover from the stroke and clearly hope that the health issues get better as quickly as possible and he gets that full recovery. But my big concern yeah. is forget about voting for him now. Forget about the sympathy what does it look like should he win, and then he does make a full recovery? What was Fetterman like before the stroke? Uh, a man who literally committed acts of vandalism in public property and private property while he was the sitting mayor. A man who utilized a nonprofit that he was running while he was mayor that was supposed to revitalize the town in order to acquire property at, well, We'll call it a sweetheart deal, uh, and mm -hmm. that's being extremely <laughs> generous. Uh, just more of the same type of far-left kind of mentality. Uh, the man's far more dangerous uh, to put there once he's back, so, you know, it's a scary thing. And uh, you are in Ohio now, and that's another place where uh, the, the rust belt, as it typically gets called, uh, there's a lot of reason and rationale for the great state of Ohio to go red. Uh, you've got a much more, uh, we'll say, track record in Ohio of not being afraid of voting Republican. Uh, what's it feeling like there? You've been out doing some work there. Uh, what's what's the feel there? Well, we're feeling the momentum here. We had a great Trump rally here last night. I was able to catch some of it. Uh, right up in Dayton. This is not too far from where I am. In fact, if I'd heard that it was going on, I might have gone up there. I'm not too far living in Cincinnati area. But um, we, we're pretty confident that, that we're going to be able to put J.D. over the over the top here. 
And Ohio is, you know, if you look at this election and the 2020 election, we're pretty solidly voting Republican. And so that's encouraging. The key is to is to keep it that way. So, yeah, getting to back to your question on Fetterman, the one point I'd add to what you said is he is a perfect example of a man who I think has fundamentally rejected our national founding covenant, which is what my book's about. And it's, it's really, it's the founding principles that uh, I just don't think he has any grasp of. And, and this sadly is the case for much of the democratic party. And so here you have a gentleman who's been around and we do hope for the best, you know, we don't wish him, uh, wish him ill will like to see him make a recovery, but the principles that he clearly believes in are so far different from our American founding. That's the reason that we need to be really concerned about someone like him uh, getting into the Senate. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly uh, could not agree with you more. Uh, talking about the book, uh, you literally use the word covenant. That's a word that doesn't normally get used a whole lot, especially in political conversations anymore. We've almost forgotten the meaning of the word. Uh, the use of the yep. word promise has become a punchline in our modern uh, culture where we seem to be at, especially if you're looking at the founding principles of the country, trying to, to have liberty continue to grow and exist here in the country. I know you chose that word for a very specific reason, and there's not enough people that use the word covenant when it comes to the founding of America, and furthermore, the continuation of America after its initial founding, but love to get in your own words why you chose to, to utilize the word covenant, because I think it's a spot-on word to use here. Yeah, so the way that I've written this book is I'm really trying to make the strongest strongest biblical argument for the American founding and why it's appropriate for Christians to be engaged in helping to establish and maintain liberty and justice for all in the communities and nations in which they live. And the heart of the biblical argument for that is looking at the nation of Israel and how God worked through that nation to basically give a blueprint to the world on how you should start a nation and what it looks like for a nation to govern justly. And of course, theologians refer to that as the Mosaic Covenant. It's really a covenant that, that God made with the nation of Israel through Moses. It is specific to Israel, and it's a template for the rest of the world to follow. It's not only important from a nation-starting standpoint or a community-starting standpoint, but it's also really any major legal contract that's made between parties. Biblically, the, the word covenant is the word that's used to describe that. So, for instance, a marriage covenant. And incidentally, the, the process that you follow in order to, to have a marriage is uh, extremely similar to the one that, that the uh, Jews followed when they started the nation of Israel. And so the word covenant really comes directly from the Bible. There are a number of covenants in the Bible, and essentially, when you see the word covenant, you should think uh, basically a contract or an agreement that's made. And, and so I really wanted to, to drive that point home and get people thinking about, well, what is the American covenant? And a lot of folks think uh, what comes to mind right away is that, well, it's the Constitution. We all know we're supposed to be following the Constitution. 
And, and the Constitution's really an important document, super important, but it's not our covenant. The covenant is the Declaration of Independence. And so that's what I talk about in the book. I basically pull out principles from the Old Testament, describe what it looks like to start a nation and what governing justly looks like. And then I show how the founders applied all of those principles in the founding of our nation. And you make the point earlier uh, that it's something that a lot of people who currently are supposed to be representing the people, which is one of the most fundamental parts of our covenant, uh, they just they seem right. so out of touch with these original founding principles that it's hard to imagine that we could continue to share the same country. Uh, it's yep. just so different, the mindset that some of these folks do. And one of the scariest things to my mind is uh, you use the, uh, the statement uh, during part of your conversations uh, in regards to the modern church has kind of shied away from pointing out the, the covenant and being strong and has lost track of the role Christians should play in citizenship. But right. uh, I unfortunately am continuously seeing this issue show up where in the modern church, depending on the denomination, it may be more or less uh, obvious, but a lot of the modern church has lost track of the Christian covenants, the, the entire idea that uh, it's more important to bring the gospel and to bring the uh, love of God and particularly of Jesus to the people uh, and to make sure that everyone knows that there are consequences when you don't, uh, as opposed to finding fun ways to, to preach the, uh, the ideology of prosperity doctrine or uh, just make sure that right. uh, there's this tremendous effort for uh, youth uh, development without actually developing the youth towards Christ. Uh, so is it a case where you kind of see the same thing here where the church has kind of lost its own way, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, which makes it that much more difficult for them to see this principle? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. What I would, uh, how I would characterize it is I would say that the modern church has a very New Testament view of the world. <clears throat> and so many churches uh, are doing a great job with evangelism, and they're very earnest in trying to build disciples for Christ. However, they, they tend to look at, if you ask them, well, what does the Bible say about governing and, and what we're supposed to do as Christians, they'll point to Romans 13, which says we should submit, and they'll, then they'll point to 1 Timothy 2, which says we should pray for our leaders. And so essentially their theology for the responsibility of the Christian in the communities and nations in which they live is to submit and pray, come what may. I mean, they really don't have much more of a theology other than that. They, they won't say how bad things should get before they should engage. And so the argument that I lay out in the book is that those verses are absolutely uh, correct in terms of, of affirming God's intent for civil government. But if you ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about civil government, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 9 after the flood, which is where God ordains the institution of civil government. And the reason he does is because things were so bad before the flood. You know, recall it was so violent that God wiped out mankind except for Noah and his family. And so the question that after he spares Noah is, 
well, what are you going to do to to prevent this from happening again? And the answer is he gives mankind the institution of civil government. And he says in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, he says, I demand an accounting for the shedding of innocent blood. And he says, I demand three times. And so what's fascinating about that is nowhere else in the Bible does God demand anything of us. He doesn't even demand that we follow him. Yet what he's saying after the flood is that he is telling mankind and all the nations that would follow that he expects them to govern justly. And so uh, this is where you start. And then you, you can ask the question, okay, well, what does it mean to govern justly? Well, then you look at the nation of Israel, and I lay out all the principles that we get from the nation of Israel. And, uh, and then you look at the New Testament, and you realize that those verses are affirming what, uh, what we learn in the Old Testament. And so that's the difference, Tim. They're not looking at the whole counsel of God. They're, they're very focused on evangelism. And, uh, and so it's almost like they use those verses, submit and pray, as an excuse not to get involved. And I, I give them the benefit of the doubt because the argument really has not been made very well. And that's the reason I wrote the book. By the way, I didn't get up one day and say, I want to write a book. <laughs> I, I'm a teacher. I've, ta- I've had a teaching ministry for 30 years. And this is just something that I started to teach. And I realized that the way I just laid out the argument, I, I hadn't seen that in any of the books about our founding, Christian-related books. And so that's why I wrote the book. I felt like the argument needed to be made, and, and the book really is meant to address the arguments that pastors and senior leaders in our church are making. And so that's why I wrote the book. Well, you know, given that we're literally speaking just a few minutes before some of the earliest polls start to close uh, here for the midterm election, seems a good time to be discussing what's it going to take to, to reestablish and restore America to its uh, greatness. And uh, yeah. it is that reminder that we first and foremost need to hold our elected officials accountable because they are answerable to us. And uh, much like uh, the expectations that are put forth on us, we don't really have this uh this line item, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. We really want these folks to represent us in a way that makes sense to the majority of the community. We have this level of understanding, but it does seem like a really good time for us to go back and try to get to those root causes. I I know that you are a man that believes that it's the root cause that must be addressed. And uh, this is a, a big part of that. Uh, We have a lot of folks that are walking around right now that claim to be uh, looking to restore the Constitution who have been in office that are looking for re-election, and they haven't done much either. They seem to have lost this too. This just seems like a really good time not only to make the argument that you're laying out there, but to remind the American people that regardless of what their personal walk of faith may be, these are still the principles the country was built on. These are the principles that have allowed us to be free for a very long time, to enjoy the blessings of liberty, and that it was established through a covenant with God. Uh, The Constitution, divinely inspired, Uh, The Declaration of Independence, divinely inspired, and as you said, that is the uh, covenant. But it's not just a covenant with God, it's also a covenant with one another. And I think that's a a point that gets lost a lot. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And I'd like to build on something you said, because people listening may think that 
that we're really trying to impose our faith on the citizenry of America. And a lot of folks that are you know, very patriotic, want to see America turn around, are accused of, of uh, being Christian nationalists. And, and that's really not what we're talking about. We're, uh, and the reason I can say that with certainty is because all the, uh, the movement that we currently see is rooted in liberty, the First and Second Amendment, the First Amendment being religious liberty and the Second Amendment really being civil liberty. And the current movement is so solidly pro-liberty. That's what should give people comfort that we are not trying to impose our faith, but we are trying to remind people that there was a covenant, a contract made by our forefathers, and, and they basically said that we're going to refer to the law of nature and of nature's God, which is essentially the Ten Commandments with respect to the protection of life, uh, protection of property, honest dealings. You know, th- this, this is the contract that was signed, and, uh, and this is what we want our fellow citizens to, to remember. And for many of them, they've never heard this, obviously, Jim. So we want to teach them this and then remind them that this is the covenant, and you can be a great American and not be a Christian. The difference is that you agree with the covenant. You agree to live at peace with your neighbor based on this incredible covenant that our forefathers signed that's rooted in liberty. And that's the promise that we're not going to impose the Christian faith on you. We are going to impose, uh, we really respect life, for instance. This is why the life issue is so important. And we respect property. And we respect your ability for you to, to share opinions. And so that's that's the point that I want to make sure folks are are hearing in uh, in what we're discussing. And then the last thing, if I could just bring this in, what I say in the book, and this is the last chapter in the book, is if if you look at Israel, if if you've studied the Old Testament, you know that Israel went through periods where they had good kings, but mostly bad kings, and God judged them. And so you ask the question. Well, what was the difference between the good kings and the bad kings? And I'll just point out two, two civil leaders, Josiah, who lived in the 7th century B.C., and Nehemiah, who went back in the uh, 5th century B.C. to rebuild the wall. In both of those cases, Josiah and Nehemiah, they renewed the covenant with the people. They actually read the book of the law. So that's the first five books of the Bible. And they... They revealed the covenant. They said, hey, this is the covenant that our forefathers established with God. Are we in or are we out? And in both cases, they said, we're in, we're recommitting. And what did God do? He blessed the reigns of both of those leaders. And so my assertion in the last chapter in the book is that if we run a store, restore America to be a God-honoring nation and receive his blessing, we have to do the same thing. And Tim, wouldn't it be cool if on the eve of the 250th birthday of our country, we actually did that. that that's what I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to start, a national conversation about that very thing. All right, and we can do that by getting rediscovering the American covenant in as many hands as possible. Mark, before we start saying our goodbyes, please let everybody know where you, they can find your work, charity website addresses that you would like to, and uh, if you're inviting folks to follow you on social media anywhere, you're welcome to share any handles you'd like to throw out as well. Yeah, so you can find me at defendamericanliberty.com, all one word. 
You can order the book there. And uh, you can also reach out to me if you want to contact me. You can also order this off Amazon or anywhere where books are sold. So uh, those those two places you can get the book. And uh, I am on Facebook and Twitter. You can look for me. You know, I forget my actual handle right now. I have a daughter who's handling all that for me. But uh, but yeah, you can you can follow me there. All right, Mark. Thank you so much again for uh, coming on with us, spending some time with me this evening. And I won't let you get back to your very busy work, but I do hope we get a chance to get back together and talk again real soon. I've enjoyed the conversation, sir. Yep, I would love that as well. Thanks again. Thank you. God bless, Godspeed, and keep it up. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Mark Burrell. He's the CEO of Defend American Liberty and the author of Rediscovering the American Covenant roadmap to restore america uh, get a copy for yourself today and by the way since this is midterm election day you might have a few folks that you just voted for that could use a copy too let's send them some <laughs> that's it uh, you guys stay where you're at we'll be back after this brief break my name's joe biden not a joke not a joke and that wasn't hyperbole I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. I'm not being facetious, and I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight joker. I sure don't want to hurt no one. I keep forgetting I'm president. Here's the thing. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. But the, the difference between the president, do, president can't do it. So that's not even a discussion. I'm. Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tapp and Tap Into the Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that just teeny tiny little break that we put in at the end of my conversation with Mark Burrell. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, he's got a such a strong fundamental uh, feel for the topic. It's just it's good to be able to engage in a conversation where there is such a genuine desire not to lecture, but to to teach, uh, not to come across as holier than thou, but to want to make sure that you get a feel for how much of the divine was involved in inspiring what led this nation to its creation. And everything that helps to make it great is a divinely inspired event it's just pretty straightforward all right obviously not a whole lot of time left in this hour 
So let me take an opportunity or two to remind you that you will find some links in today's show description if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, those links will take you to such great places like, I don't know, perhaps a location like Mr. Burrell's Defend American Liberty site. Yep, we'll have that in the show description. Uh, we'll have a link to Rediscovering the American Covenant uh, over at Amazon, of course. Uh, feel free to follow that. And uh, there'll also be links to some various companies that, if you decided to make a purchase from, might help support the show as well. Uh, companies like Blue Coolers and Fire and Flavor. Just to name a couple. And before I'm done with all that, I might also include a link or two to some of the companies that, while they're not sponsors of the show and I'm not an affiliate with them, I do own some small equity stake in those companies. And so, therefore, companies like Honey Fund and Second Skull, just to name a couple, and I guess now I'm kind of obligated to put those two in, uh, where you can visit, check them out, see what they have to offer. And, you know, because I do have a small equity stake in those companies, anything you decide to do with them will, in some fashion, help to, uh, you know, financially support me, which in turn continues to support the show. So lots of great opportunities to support the show without having to do too many things uh, that's going to cost you money. And, at the end of the day, if you'll just let the ads play, if you're listening over at Stitcher, for example, uh, right now, for whatever reason, Stitcher is by far the highest, most popular uh, place to listen to the show with the highest listenership, is what I was trying to say. Highest listenership, most popular platform to listen to the show. And just over the course of the last month and a half, it has tripled the next three closest platforms. Just huge all, all of a sudden. So glad to have all you guys there. Keep it up. And if you're listening there, uh, you probably are listening to a monetized version of the show, meaning that there's little ads at the beginning and in the middle and towards the end. So if you'll so very kindly just let those ads play, even if you mute them, uh, that still gets me paid. And while it's not a whole lot for those ads, you know, it's just a smidge here, and I need hundreds, if not thousands of those to, to really start adding up to anything serious. And we're talking about a time when Biden inflation is running wild, so clearly every little bit helps, and you're literally, you're not out anything to do that. So, you know, just a small favor. I don't ask a lot, guys. I really don't. Although I do ask that you go vote. Now, by the time you're hearing this show, chances are it's going to be a little late to go do that. Polls will be closing across the country as we go. And uh, the conversations that I've had uh, earlier today with the Reverend, who will be next up, that you'll get to hear in the second hour, uh, well, that was taking place roughly about the time the polls were starting to close. So... A lots of things that are going on at this point in time. Uh, it's part of the fun of recording conversations before putting them up. Uh, not a lot of time to edit those conversations so I can take those occasions where I sound like I'm struggling for words out. But uh, hey, 
you guys haven't stopped listening to me yet. And if that was going to be a deal breaker, it probably would have been done listening quite a while back. All right. So with all that being said, we've got less than five minutes before the end of the first hour. Not a whole lot of time to get into any particular topic. So I want to reiterate, it's not just enough to elect the right people. And hopefully that's what happens tonight. Hopefully, everybody who decided to go vote went to go vote. Uh, maybe you voted early. Maybe you voted by mail. As long as it was a legal and legitimate uh, casting of your ballot, then I hope it gets counted. And I hope whoever is most appropriate for your community is the person that you get to send wherever, at least with no shenanigans. Now, obviously, you guys know I do have a preference. I'm not unbiased. I love the idea of conservatism being in control of the government. And I love that idea because under conservatism, the most people garner the most benefit. Now, I know a lot of folks are, well, what about this person? What about that? No, you never do. Just rewind. Go back just a few years. Think about the orange man who was bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, and think about how things were operated under him. It's not all the lies that the Democrats are telling right now that has so many people walking away from the party. It's having gotten a taste of what life could be like if liberty is the focus, if hands-off is the mentality from the federal government, if letting the more local government be more directly involved, letting you have a bigger say over how you live your life and how your dollars are spent, Seeing how good that could be, even though we weren't completely freed, we didn't completely have those shackles the government keeps putting on us removed, but you got enough for a taste. And then seeing that taste and then immediately being thrown into the literal lockdown gulag that the Democrats uh, tried to put in place, that is why so many folks are walking away. And thank goodness that the Democratic Party as it's being operated at the national level, is being run by a bunch of people that are too thick-headed and too stubborn to learn anything from it or even recognize it. That's going to have to be it for the first hour. If you're listening to the podcast or if you're listening over at WCET Radio or even over at TheLastFrequency.com, uh, don't go anywhere. Hour number two will start after uh, this little reset. i got to do this so Doug doesn't get mad at me. He he gets to roll this up and, you know, reset it and make it work smoothly on the rebroadcast over there. Anyway, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. Most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Stay put for hour number two taking place shortly after this. But at the end of the hour, quick message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go. Hey.
Jesus from a blue state clan Taught to praise the little man Told that union saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky College party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing-controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens... The 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican-controlled. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. That's right, Hillary, Joe, all the rest of you, you're just no good, which is why we're voting you all out of office, at least that's what I'm rooting for. By this point in time, we know that a lot of things are taking place. Uh, Some of the earlier uh, East Coast races are being called. Some of them are still too close to be called, and a lot of you, if you're listening to this show, uh, are waiting with anxious breath, uh, bated breath, anxious, bated breath to just find out what's going to happen next, who's going to get the big W, Uh, are we going to have a Republican governor for the state of New York, are we going to see a red tsunami, you know, all these things I'm certainly hoping for, I think there's plenty of opportunity for it, and based on some of the things we're seeing, it seems likely. However, still way too early just yet, at least at the time of this broadcast. We'll be talking about it in upcoming broadcasts. But I want to bring up, I hate to do it at this point in time, but I think I have to. We've got another bad Trump story. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's essentially the same bad Trump story. You guys remember the last time we talked a little bit about how Donald Trump decided to take a cheap shot at Ron DeSantis. Well, at that point in time, I criticized it mostly because we're not to the midterm elections just yet, and Ron DeSantis is looking to become governor again, and uh, right now, early data shows that most likely he's done that. Again, it's still not complete at the time of this broadcast. Maybe by the time this broadcast is over, 
uh, that'll pretty much be a done deal. But uh, Donald Trump, he's been hinting and hemming and hollering and and, and making a, an announcement about making an announcement. And I told you point blank that uh, when he took that shot at Ron DeSantis, that was, in fact, his announcement. He is coming out, and he's trying to start swinging at the unquestionably strongest opposition that he would have in a primary if Ron DeSantis decided to run. Now, Donald Trump decided to launch yet another attack against Florida Governor, and right now looks like re-elected Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, and he did it before the polls closed today on the actual midterm election day. This continues to aggravate me for the same reason. Right now, guys, same team. Right now, Donald, you decided to run, but you haven't announced it. Now, we've been speculating for a while that it was pretty much a done deal. And at that point in time, the nomination was yours to just ask for. Now, the Republican Party proper, especially the more, what's the right word here, establishment types within the party, uh, they don't like that fact. Uh, several of them are secretly never-Trumpers, but they can't be publicly never-Trumpers because, well, the folks that continue to vote for them uh, tend to support the former president, known to the left as the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, and the climate arsonist. Yes, the orange man who's bad. Unfortunately, there's too many people that stuck an R at the end of their name that feel the same way. I think what we've seen in the interceding months that it actually would be a race between Ron DeSantis should he decide to seek that nomination and Donald Trump. It would be ugly. It would get nasty. And I think at the end of the day, the Republican Party would be weaker after the fact. But I think both of these men represent something that the Republican Party desperately needs. And I think they'd both be great selections to be president. I do fear that Donald Trump is making this far too personal early on. And I, I honestly felt like previous to now, we, we now know that Tom Cotton has decided he is not going to be seeking the Republican nomination for president, at least not at this go-round. He made that announcement the other day. I honestly felt like Ron DeSantis is interested in the position but had no interest in running if Donald Trump was going to run. And let's face facts, he can do a lot more good for the Republican Party and for the cause of conservatism if he remains the governor of the great state of Florida, uh, especially during the time frame that we're looking at. If, if he does that, can help to solidify and turn Florida from that purple state that it has been for so long into a clear-cut and easily identifiable red state, that's phenomenal. That's great work. And then take a long, hard look at what to do next. Serve out your term as governor, uh, Mr. DeSantis. That's my request. I would love for Ron DeSantis to remain governor of Florida and to fulfill his term and then help transition the next DeSantis-esque 
governor for the great state of Florida after that. That would be awesome. And then we'd be looking at it. But what concerns me here is I don't think that Donald Trump is actually operating out of political savvy. I think this comes back around to his ego. I, I'm somebody that has never held back in responding and referencing what I feel like Donald Trump's weaknesses are. I, I'm more than happy to report the good Trump. In fact, Trump did a lot of good. In fact, a lot of greatness in his effort to make America great again when he was holding down the office of President of the United States. He did really well. He governed in a fashion that I think nobody fully anticipated or expected. The left had nothing but mean tweets to attack him on. The fact that Donald Trump is an idea guy and he likes to brainstorm and he likes to, to talk things out and comes from the point of view that, okay, well, we're having a brainstorming session, so we can say whatever gets said, and we don't really hold back. There's nothing that's off limits to be said, even if we're thinking uh, just out loud, well, what if we try this? What are the, uh, what's the negative ramifications? He never once tried to pursue something that was a bad idea, even though he made the statement. Now, the left would disagree with that statement, obviously, they don't like conservatism. They don't like republicanism. Now, Donald Trump is not an ideologue. He, he's not somebody that is connected directly to conservatism. And that's always been one of my uh, issues. But it's not a major issue because he's still governed as president of the United States very conservatively, more so than even Ronald Reagan before him. He did that largely on the strength of advisors, but he's a guy who's not married to a particular ideology. And so that actually gives him that opportunity to throw ideas out there and present them and see what kind of feedback he gets and decide from there. That's not a bad thing. The left wanted to convince you that it was. It's not. And I don't come from a position of Donald Trump, oh, going to bash Trump, going to bash... I don't want to bash Donald Trump. I don't want to tell you a bad Trump story. But I still think that this falls into that category because right now he's taking cheap shots at somebody who at this moment in time is not an adversary. And like I said, I really think that DeSantis was waiting to see if Trump was going to run before he decided. But this almost feels like now that Donald Trump is looking to try and bully DeSantis away from it, trying to to try and just keep him from even considering it, which I kind of get the feeling, based on what I know about Ron DeSantis, that this is going to encourage him to maybe decide to run, even though he was probably going to wait. Anyway, uh, Wall Street Journal and Fox News uh, both noted that uh, Trump's newest remarks, uh, they uh, were in reports that were published on Election Day. That's Tuesday, time of the live broadcast. Trump made the remarks while flying back to Florida uh, Monday evening after hosting a big-time rally in the uh, state of Ohio. In fact, that's the rally that Mark had mentioned earlier when we were talking back in hour one. 
Trump claimed in these remarks that there was no tiff with DeSantis, even after he had mocked the governor over the weekend, calling him Ron DeSanctimonious, and using a very old polling data, he used some poll numbers, that was showing that he had a huge lead on DeSantis in the 2024 presidential primary. That number, if that poll was conducted today, would be a lot closer than it was then. And Donald Trump knows that. Donald Trump purposely used that poll because, well, he's Donald Trump. That's the poll that makes him look the best, and that's the image that he has to move forward with. I mean, the man understands branding uh, as well, if not better, than almost anybody else in the country. And part of branding is in making people believe that your brand is the best brand. Quoting here from Donald Trump, he said, I don't know if he's running. I think if he runs, he could hurt himself very badly. I really believe he could hurt himself badly. I think he would be making a mistake. I think the base would not like it. I don't think it would be good for the party. Well, again, Donald, at this point, you haven't officially announced. We kind of know you're going to now. I don't think the party would mind him running for president if he weren't going to. If it wasn't a primary battle between you and Ron DeSantis, I don't think the party would mind at all. In fact, I think the party would prefer it. At this point in time, Ron DeSantis is probably the best overall candidate to be both Trump-esque in being able to fight against the mainstream media's false narratives and Democratic elected office holders that are going to try to push a completely different agenda. And the one thing that still seems to elude the former president, and that is a level of statesmanship, something that there are still a lot of conservatives uh, a lot of Republicans that would like to see in our nominee, even though we're not never-Trumpers. Now, there's a lot of never-Trumpers that will use the same line, but there's a lot of people that aren't never-Trumpers that would still prefer a higher level of statesmanship. An effort to restore a little bit of <sighs> dignity to the office that's been missing for a bit. And again, this isn't meant to be a dig at Donald Trump. I just think that his insistence on attacking Ron DeSantis at this point in time, well, it's it's just not a very good move, and it's not good for the party. If you want to talk about the good of the party, this ain't it, Don. Oh, Donald. Uh, back to quoting, uh, although it sounds a lot like what he's already said, if he runs, he runs. I would tell you things about him that won't be very flattering. I know more about him than anybody, other than perhaps his wife. Now, again, this sounds an awful lot like uh, Little Rubio and Lion's Head and, and all that kind of stuff. And we know a, a lot of what Trump said at that point in time was, well, could have been straight from a Joe Biden story. Uh, in other words, not a whole lot of truth there, but... Uh, as a certain former senator from Nevada once famously uh, 
said when he was lying about Mitt Romney's taxes. It, it, it worked, didn't it? So he's going to try it again. So the attacks from Trump on DeSantis, well, it comes after one of Trump's lawyers also took shots at the governor this past week, saying that he needs to stay in Florida and that DeSantis is DeSantis because of Trump. Statement that I'm quite certain Ron would probably take a little exception to. She also claimed that DeSantis was not polished enough to be president, saying he's not ready yet. Now, that's a statement that is completely false. I don't think anybody's going to believe that. If you're talking about polished politicians and uh, messaging, I think Ron's probably got Trump beat. And that's part of the appeal of Trump, that he's not particularly polished, but he's a guy that's just going to tell you like it is and stand up for you. And again, I don't like being in a position where I have to say bad, very bad Trump. But this is making it quite clear. Now, some of the reporters that were present did ask Donald Trump, by the way, just as an FYI, if he voted for DeSantis for governor of the great state of Florida. Remember, Trump lives in Florida. And uh, Trump just, without hesitation, said, yes, I did. I, and I believe that's completely sincere. And I believe that part of that is because DeSantis is clearly the best option when it comes to the folks that are currently running for the governorship. I mean, again, Charlie Crist, a man who's literally been in every political party there is, in fact, He's been part of every party that's existed for the last 20 years, not even just political parties. Uh, like I said to Ken Crow when we were talking about uh, Chris the other day, he's been a Republican, he's been a Democrat, he's been associated with the Green Party, and he was even at my daughter's third birthday party. So he's been literally part of every party that you can think of for the last little bit. Uh, it's just, come on, come on. Come on, Trump. Uh, seriously. Uh, this is not necessary, and at this point, he's not your adversary. Now, obviously, everything is fair game if you guys are both announced and both running. You do you. You're going to do what you're going to do. But you're going to have a much harder time taking Ron DeSantis down. So I wouldn't be poking the bear. I wouldn't be trying to provoke him. And that's not coming from a place of fear. That's coming from a place of understanding that Again, I really don't think he was planning on running if Trump was going to. I think he's more content, more than content, to sit back, be the governor of Florida, wait another four years, and then he would have every opportunity to still go ahead and run down the road once his time as uh, Florida governor's done. I really, really think that that was his plan. This could change his mind. And this would not be good for the Republican Party, period. Just wouldn't be good. All right, let's go ahead and take uh, that mid-hour break uh, way early because <laughs> I want to make sure that there's plenty of time for you to hear my conversation with the Reverend James Harden. Uh, it was a good conversation, went a little longer than we had expected, not by a lot, but a little, and uh, it was a good conversation. Uh, in fact, one of the better ones I've had in a while. So I want to make sure that you get to hear all of it. You guys stay right where you're at. That will come up right after this very, very brief break.
You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just Much has been written in recent years to try to dismiss the fact that the United States was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, despite their efforts, leftist revisionists cannot change the historic facts. Anyone who takes the time to examine the original writings, personal correspondence, biographies, and public statements of the sovereign individuals who were instrumental in the founding of America will find an abundance of quotations showing the profound extent to which their thinking and their lives were influenced by a Christian worldview. This is not to say that all of the founding fathers were Christians, though most were, but even those who were not Christians were deeply influenced by and promoted the beneficial principles of Christianity, unlike modern-day leftist non-believers who seek to extinguish Christianity out of society. We can choose to get distracted wondering if Ben Franklin put his personal faith in Jesus or simply appreciate the blessings of Christian Judeo values that are the bedrock of our land of liberty. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience 3 p.m. weekdays via the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. President Biden now set to deliver a speech on democracy in our country, preserving democracy. In the wake of the attack on Paul Pelosi and other threats, the escalating rhetoric across the country. The president is going to make it crystal clear what is at stake in this election. He is pointing out that there are candidates running for every office, every level of office in this country, who will not commit to accepting the results of the very elections they are running in. And the president is also reminding every American that it could take several days to get the final results, saying that is the system working? Tonight, President Biden is calling on all Americans to stand up to protect our democracy amid the threats that election deniers pose to the voting process. Two years after the 2020 election, there is still no evidence of systematic voting problems. And tonight, according to his prepared remarks, President Biden is going to argue that conspiracy theories and election lies could once again spark chaos the way they did on January 6th. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. There absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. Just a few days ago, a little before 2.30 a.m. in the morning, A man smashed the back windows and broke into the home 
of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the third highest-ranking official in America. All this happened after the assault. And it just I, — it's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, <clears throat> where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th, when they broke windows. I wish I could say the assault on a democracy had ended that day, but I cannot. As I stand here today, there are candidates running for every level of office in America, for governor, Congress, attorney general, secretary of state, who won't commit they will not commit to accepting the results of election that they're running in. This is a path to chaos in America. It's unprecedented. It's unlawful. And it's un-American. As I've said before, you can't love your country only when you win. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Mm-hmm. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Years of Republican propaganda and Trump-fueled fascism led 42-year-old David DePap to break into Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home, seemingly with the intent to harm her. No specific motive has been identified. The circumstances are eerily similar to the January 6th attack, some bringing zip ties into the Capitol, attempting to find officials and take them hostage. Pelosi, one of the targets that day and Friday. This is an incredibly toxic moment that has been building for years and only getting worse. Threats against members of Congress have more than doubled since 2017. While there have been victims in both parties, targeted Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals, the structure of the Republican Party more recently with the advent of Donald Trump has put a person at the top of the party who has consistently advocated violence and who has created a market within his own party where it's fun to joke about violence You've seen deranged lunatics attack both Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, I don't think John Boehner 12 years ago pointing out that Nancy Pelosi passed Obamacare, or Kevin McCarthy now pointing out that she passed trillions of dollars of spending that causes inflation, led to this you know, apparent nudist activist breaking into her home. The simplest way to stop crimes like this is to get tough on crime. It's not to try to stop campaigning in the middle of a campaign seven days before an election on legitimate issues of public concern. Absolutely, people should continue to campaign on legitimate issues of public concern. No, uh, no debate there. But uh, to be clear, from your answer, 
answers here. I'm here. You don't see any connection between things said in this country, in particular by people denying the results of the 2020 election uh, and the motivations of, as you call it, this madman. No more connection than Chuck Schumer going to the steps of the Supreme Court and saying that Brett Kavanaugh wouldn't know what hit him if he issued rulings that Chuck Schumer disagreed with. And what did you have? Uh, a left wing hitman showing up at Brett Kavanaugh's house to assassinate him. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. And again today, I have the very distinct honor of bringing yet another first-time guest onto the show. Uh, this man is the president and the CEO of Compass Care, which just so happens to probably sound familiar to you because this was one of those pregnancy crisis uh, care centers that was attacked by leftist extremists. Uh, shortly after the leak of the decision from the uh, Supreme Court that was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Reverend James Harden. Uh, first of all, Reverend, uh, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. I appreciate your time and uh, I hope that you're doing well today. Oh, thank you very much, Tim. It's really an honor to be be with you. And yes, I am very hopeful and, and enthusiastic today. This is This is going to be a, a, a great day. Yeah. Well, uh, just for those of you that might be listening to the podcast version a little bit later, I'll once again remind you that uh, we're doing this live on a midterm election today. In fact, uh, some of the earliest polls are just starting to close as we're having this conversation. So there's a lot of things going on there. But uh, I, I really, before we jump into anything else, I want to get an update. How is things progressing both with uh, Compass Care's uh, return to service and the ongoing investigation into those people that perpetrated uh, the uh, vandalism. Well, as you know, um, uh, there was a, a firestorm of crime that was sparked by the illegal leak of the Dobbs case, overturning Roe versus Wade, which you know legalized abortion throughout the nation back in 1973, and. It started back on, on May 2nd, this crime wave, and uh, it was pro-abortion crime wave instigated by pro-abortion terrorist groups um, like Jane's Revenge. And uh, they firebombed a, a pro-life organization in Madison, Wisconsin on May 6th and then sent out an ultimatum. And the ultimatum said, pregnancy centers have 30 days to shut down or we're going to do more of this. We have uh, representatives in all 50 states uh, and, uh, and we're, we're going to do more of it. So 30 days um, arrived. 
and and on June 7th, Compass Care, uh, our Compass Care's facility in Buffalo was indeed firebombed. uh, Multiple Molotov cocktails, multiple perpetrators. Um, I, I finally got a chance to see the our own video surveillance, which which the police took from us and wouldn't let us see for uh, over 140 days, uh, but it was it was a hit job. It was it was done by professionals. They knew exactly what they were doing. It was choreographed. It was timed, um, and uh, th- there have been no arrests. And and the crime wave includes 150 other attacks on pro-life organizations uh, and churches. And uh, we, you know, zero arrests. The FBI didn't even bother looking at our video surveillance for five weeks. We even saw that there was, you know, there was there was some violence being fomented against us uh, several weeks in advance of the firebombing. We notified the FBI and the local police, and uh, nothing that we could see was done on a, on a you know, to, to preempt anything like this. There's been no manhunts, no manhunts. Um, no, no FBI raids of homes uh, like they've been doing with pro-life people. They have not only abdicated their duty, but they have now gone on the attack, and they have indicted over 26 peaceful pro-life uh, people across the country uh, on, on you know, trumped-up FACE Act charges, Freedom of Access to Clinic and Church Entrance Act. So that comes with jail time, comes with uh, steep penalties, financial penalties, et cetera. So we are, there, there has been all-out war declared on peaceful pro-life pregnancy centers. And, uh, and it's unfortunate because when I say all out war, I mean, we've got politicians attacking us, weaponizing legislation against us to investigate us instead of the arsonists. We've got big tech censoring us like Google and Yelp. Um, you know, we've got big corporations uh, that, that are, uh, you know, violating the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. Uh, we, you know, we've got collusion between these government bad actors and, and other private sector groups, um, which is a violation of U.S. Uh, code 1983. I mean, just, I mean, it is, it is, it's Orwellian what's happening. Uh, you know, if, if I were, if you were to say, well, gosh, you, you, the, the litany that I just listed off, the timeline that, that, that I have, and, and now it's just a snapshot, you would think that I, I would be reading from you uh, like a dystopian novel, but it's true. All these, you can look it up. Just go to compasscarecommunity.com and you can see the, it's all linked. It's all linked to main, to, to, to the media and all the, all the events. It's absolutely, um, well, gosh, I never thought I'd live in an America uh, that would that would persecute, um, where the government would persecute people who who are ideologically uh, disfavored, like you know, pro-life Christians. Where, why, what's so dangerous about the belief that pro-life people have? The belief that pro-life people have that drives us is that. All people are made in the image of God and deserving of blessing and protection from the womb to the tomb without partiality. That's a dangerous concept to uh, pro-abortion politicians in charge of the Democratic Party right now. And I think the reason it's dangerous to them, the reason why they're scared, is, is number one, I think they're, it, 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 it strikes at the heart of absolute power. Absolute power basically says, it, you know, it gets to decide who lives and who dies. And abortion is the camel's nose under the tent, so to speak. Of, of absolute power because it's the government getting to say who qualifies as a person under the law and who does not. And, uh, and so that's a slippery slope. If we, if we continue to allow government to be vested with that kind of power, who's next, right? Who's next? It could be your neighbor, could be you. And, uh, and, and that's just, that's something that makes the, the, the people of America, I think, very uncomfortable. And they've begun to realize uh, these last six months that, uh, the, the, that uh, the pro-abortion politicians in charge of the Democratic Party are uh, are are okay with violence being perpetrated against the ideological enemies
as long as uh, as long as you target the right people, the ones that are going to be dissidents, the ones that are going to stand up, uh, then yes, it's okay. Uh, you can go out onto the streets and you can literally riot. Call that a mostly peaceful but fiery protest uh, for an entire summer uh, involving George Floyd. But then if you stand up for an un, well, I usually use the terminology, a preborn baby human, well, then yep. that's dangerous. And, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that those folks that are standing up for the uh, preborn, they're obviously people of faith. And yes. the reason political leftists do not like people of faith, and it doesn't matter what the faith is, really. Uh, you're never going to accept the state as the ultimate power. Therefore, as you put it, it is a power thing. Their power is never going to be absolute over you. That makes you a target. And and it is. I've said many, many times uh, on this broadcast that, unfortunately, when we were reading uh, 1984, when we were reading Brave New World, we understood that to be a warning of where things could go if we didn't stop it. It seems like a lot of leftist politicians uh, currently operating in this country took it as a roadmap and a playbook, <laughs> and they're going right down it. And it's a very dangerous time. Period. The the whole idea of liberty is slowly slipping away. And every time I say that, I get accused of hyperbole. But you are literally living it as a targeted individual. Oh, liberty. Has, yes, you are so right, Tim. Liberty has been redefined. They're attempting to redefine it in, in, in Orwellian terms. Right. Uh, they're redefining language uh, specifically of liberty. Uh, they're, they're striking at the heart of what a right is. You know, a right is something the government creates, like abortion. Well, if, if government creates a right, it's it's on a collision course with the inalienable rights that God instilled within us, right? That's that's essentially what 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 Dobbs Dobbs case said. The the moment that Roe versus Wade was decided, it was on a collision course with the Constitution. Why was it on a collision course with the Constitution? Well, because we're endowed by our Creator with an inalienable rights, not by government. And when government starts to 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 create rights, it's always uh, it, it's always going to choose when when those rights finally do collide. The right to abortion versus the right to life. Which, what's what's happening? They collided, and when government has to has to make a choice between the two, it will almost always choose the rights that it creates, and at the expense of of the of the, of 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 the of the rights of people who 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 stand up against it. So when you've got you know people pro life people standing up for the for the rights of you know, preborn boys and girls, as you so aptly described it, them, uh, you know, they're going to treat those people who stand up for those the rights of, of, of the voiceless in our society as second class citizens, because they're 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 standing up not just for the rights of those of those preborn boys and girls, but they are standing in the way of absolute power. They become the enemy of the state. And that's exactly how we're being treated. This is the pro-abortion crystal knock, and the, the, the Democratic Party right now has a new KKK, and it's called Jane's Revenge. And they're going around uh, using violence, uh, perpetrating violence and, and, and aggression against the, the disfavored ideological group. In this case, it's pro-life people. And uh, the new cross in the front yard is burning down pregnancy centers. We, we had a half a million dollars of the damage done, catastrophic damage to our facility in Buffalo. They weren't attacking Compass Care. They were attacking women. And it was not, it's not about access to, to, to medical care. It's not about increasing access to health uh, or even improving health care. It's, it's about – here's the motto. Jane's Revenge, the pro-abortion terrorist group that attacks us, 
their motto is that if abortion isn't safe, then neither are you. Uh, again, it's not about it's not about anything other than power, and uh, and and that's what we're seeing now. And I think the exit polls tonight, as you described them in, in the beginning of the segment, um, are telling us that you know the the primary issues that the voters are concerned about are abortion and inflation, and uh, you know I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm really happy that this that this, they're taking this 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 cultural moment and expressing uh, themselves in the polls right now at the voting booth. And uh, this is, I think, because I think this is the most cult- important cultural moment in 150 years in America, and not just for America either. As America is the global leader, it's 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 a it's a watershed moment for the rest of of the world. Yeah, yeah. A little while ago, I was uh, able to talk with Mark Burrell. He, of course, is the author of Rediscovering the American Covenant. Uh, which is a basically a definitive argument for reestablishing biblical principles and understanding that you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to be a good American, but you do need to understand that it is those Christian values and uh, those founding principles that help make America great, which is why you also are in a position where we all can live together in a melting pot where we can get along. Uh, During the course of that conversation, we touched on some of the things that you're talking about right now, but what really concerns me as much as anything is when you were talking about the Christian version of outreach, the crisis pregnancy centers, uh, these are centers that are doing everything that the left claims that we're not. Uh, they literally <laughs> stand up. They try to convince in a loving, caring fashion these young women who are at a point of crisis uh, to give that child a chance to be a child and then work from that point. And you don't just, once you've convinced them, walk away and say, okay, well, good job to us and walk away. There are other services. There are all kinds of effort to continue to help support these mothers, especially if they find themselves unwed and alone. There's all kinds of counseling that's available and made about. There is no better, no better organizations currently operating in this country that does more good for more people than the crisis pregnancy centers across the country. And I know of a few good organizations, <laughs> but these are doing the, the yeoman's work here of really stepping in and doing the most good for the most people in a way that is incalculable. And yeah. then to hear somebody like Elizabeth Warren demand that they be shut down, that you're pulling a bait and switch just proves that not only is she completely out of touch with what's going on, but so many people on the left are so married to the idea that they must be able to use abortion as just another form of contraceptive without judgment, without concern, that it's heartbreaking. We're living in a time where these folks expect to get to scream their abortion when just a few years ago, some of these same people were talking about safe, legal, and rare. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, when a, when a woman faces an unplanned pregnancy, she says, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I've got no other choice, I need to have an abortion. That doesn't sound like empowerment to me. That doesn't sound like choice to me. It sounds like entrapment. It sounds like coercion. And that's exactly what we have experienced over the thousands and thousands of women that our organizations have served over the years. Entrapment, coercion. They they are not free. Uh, they are uh, to, to 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 make a decision. They feel um, like they have to have an abortion. And so what what pregnancy centers do, you know, like Compass Care. Compass Care's mission is that we're a Christ centered agency, as you described. Most more Christians, 
that we are dedicated to empowering men and women to erase the need for abortion by transforming their fear into confidence. Now, I say we say erase the need for abortion, not because we believe there's a philosophical need for abortion, but because when a woman comes in, she says, I need to have an abortion. Uh, and so what do we do? We give her all the comprehensive community support that she needs, all the ethical medical care. We walk with her, not just through the pregnancy, uh, the, the pregnancy and we, but beyond. It takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of coordination. It takes the community. And, 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 uh, that is a, a uniquely, uh, Christian thing that we don't charge any money. It's all free. Uh, and, and why? Why? Because we value all people. As, as scripture says, we're all made in the image of God, deserving of blessing and protection from the womb to the tomb without partiality. And, and so the mother and child alike, we must, uh, we must serve them both. When a, you know, when a doctor takes the Hippocratic oath, when he, before he takes, before he starts practicing medicine independently, he used to take the Hippocratic oath. Now they've changed the Hippocratic oath, of course. Um, before 1973, there used to be a statement in the Hippocratic oath. And the statement read this, like something like this. I will not give a woman an abortive remedy, which is a, a, a fancy way of saying uh, we're not going to do abortions. Doctors, it's, it's not medicine. Why do they, of all the things they could have picked out, of all the different medical procedures and practices they could have used in the Hippocratic Oath, why did they focus on abortion as something that is totally forbidden? And, and I think it's because the purpose of medicine is to heal and to maintain the health of the person, the patient. We are, we're serving a woman pregnant. You're serving two, two people. And, and abortion does neither one of those two things for either the woman or the child, right? So, so abortion is the original quackery. Uh, and, and abortion is, is not medicine at all. Uh, so, you know, this, the, what, what, what pregnancy centers represent is, is the community coming together to, 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 to help a woman get, give her, basically free her, give her a vision of her future after having a child, give her the ability to say no to abortion. And what, what do abortionists do? Abortionists do one thing, and they do it for money. They are mercenary, and they do abortion. Uh, and, and they don't help women. They don't tell them the risks and side effects associated with abortion. Uh, it's, it's medical malpractice all day long, every day. It's entrapment. It's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's fraud. I mean, chemical abortion now represents over half of all abortions in America. Chemical abortion is 400% more dangerous than surgical. A woman is 500% more likely to end up in the emergency room after starting the chemical abortion process. And she is alone, left to do it in her own bathroom. I mean, it, it is terrible what they're doing to these women, all to protect abortion and the billion-dollar abortion complex that, that uh, it, it is basically now uh, that, that, that is controlled from New York State. New York State is the abortion capital of the globe. And we're right here um, um, trying to reach and serve women in this state. And, you know, so much is going on. So much is changing uh, after the Dobbs case came out on June 24th. So many things, specifically in the abortion industry. And now we've got an opportunity. Pro-life people, pro-life organizations like pregnancy centers are the only competition to the abortion industry. And that, that's why they're attacking us. We've, we're going to have we have places to serve women in all 50 states and they're being restricted now. Uh, at least, I think, 16 states now are restricting it, and they're on their way to 26 states. It'd be similar to what would happen if the you know, Ford Motor Company was told by the government, hey, you can't have dealerships in 26 states tomorrow. That would be an existential threat to their business, right? They'd have to change their business model pretty quick in order to survive, and that's exactly what we're seeing happening. But the pro-life, I mean, pro-abortion politicians are promoting abortion, they're protecting abortion, and they're attacking uh, the abortion industry's only competition. Why? 
I think it gets back to what, what we were talking about earlier, Tim. I think it gets back to absolute power. And, and it, 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 they're missing the point of what it means to be um, a government representative. They're supposed to protect all people equally. And they're attacking pro-life people, <laughs> the people that actually serve women and, and seek to, uh, to save their, the lives of their children. Yeah, unfortunately, we are seeing these folks now that are so unwilling to accept the Dobbs decision that they're looking for every type of workaround that they can find, including now yeah. using the VA hospitals uh, to provide abortions. And we've had some folks even talk about sending these, uh, what I've been calling murder mobiles that are essentially abortion clinics in these giant RVs to go park them close to state lines. And evidently some money is being sent to, to try and make that happen in some places. It's obscene. And it is yeah. simply because they want that control. Uh, we're quickly running out of time, and, and I wanted to ask you one more quick question on a slightly different topic. Obviously, you have grown very, very skeptical of the FBI based on their actions in regards to how they've investigated everything with Compass Care, and you see everything they're doing elsewhere. We've seen the DOJ uh, that has literally been weaponized mm -hmm. against essentially anybody who might hold a slightly different idea than what the current state is demanding her citizens hold. Uh, we're even seeing, as you pointed out, medical professionals that are standing up trying to promote this stuff, calling it care. Uh, you mentioned the Hippocratic Oath, and I have so very often recently been asking, what happened to the simple concept of do no harm? That is why mm. abortion was included in that example, because abortion does not just harm that pre-born child that is about to be born, but it also causes long-term psychological issues for the woman who has to endure it. And mm. they're so involved with all these other stuff. But here recently, we also saw the FBI issue a warning to the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, particularly in the New York area, which has been targeted by uh, racial and systemic violence a great deal over the last few years, and it's been practically ignored by every law enforcement uh, fiduciary in the state of New York. Uh, they'll take the uh, reports and move on. But the FBI issued this report. Uh, strangely enough in time, and maybe I'm just being a little cynical here, but just before the midterms, you've been very vocal about warning them not to uh, be duped by the FBI's antics here. I, I have, yes. I, I think that was, it was a shameless ploy to garner sympathy votes um, you know, and, and make it and make the FBI you know, look like a hero. The FBI, you know, will leave you in the dark to defend yourself. They are not interested in uh, in protecting people. And and by the way, if they knew of any threats being being uh, being you know you know uh, coming against this the community, it's typically because they've infiltrated and are part of the left's apparatus uh, to enforce a political agenda using these kinds of of, of violent attempts and attacks. Um, so yeah, I, I was I, I encourage the the the. the uh, the Orthodox Jewish community to be very skeptical uh, uh, that the F, you know the FBI is, is not you know actually going to interested in helping them. Um, they're just interested in, in building building back their reputation because it's been besmirched so significantly. I mean, the House Judiciary Committee released a one thousand over one one thousand page report uh, just just uh, was it November third, outlining the extensive Department of Justice and FBI politicization. And, you know, whistleblowers testimony was in it and uh, we're, we're listed in it. I mean, they're abdicated, not just abdicated authority and to, to, to their duty to protect all people equally, 
but uh, they they've they've gone on the attack. And so I would say, you know, be be very careful. Uh, don't be taken in by by the FBI. It's complicit in what I what I've called the pro-abortion crystal mock. You know, the, the Jewish community, you know, I'm sure remembers what government can can do. Is uh, all they got to do is, is look back to the, uh, the, the their persecution in the 20th century. Uh, you know, while they continue to endure persecution, uh, it, it almost always comes from government. Interestingly enough, almost always. So this is no exception. Yeah. All right, Reverend, again, I greatly appreciate your time. I want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find your continued work and share any websites that you want to. If you're inviting folks to follow you on social media, you're welcome to share any handles you want to throw out there as well, including the platform you're on. But before you do any of that, any predictions for the outcomes of these midterm elections that you're keeping a close eye on? Because I know uh, this is something that's going to be very pressing for your continued efforts. Yes, I, I, I think that uh, the the outcome of the midterms is going to represent a significant power shift to pro-life Republicans away from pro-abortion Democrats. And I think that the Democrats are doing it to themselves. I think they've defeated themselves by by beating this this one drum about abortion. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they've demonstrated that they are out of touch with the American people. 70 to 80 percent of them want re, want state restrictions on abortion across the board. And uh, and yet they've they've been beating the drum of unfettered uh, federalized rights around abortion, uh, which would essentially, uh, for all intents and purposes, make pro-life activity uh, a violation of a woman's civil right. So um, I think that it's going to shift. And I think we've got an opportunity to really hold uh, these these the, these pro-abortion politicians accountable for the crimes that they have been committing, as well as the politicization of law enforcement. Um, so I, I, I think that New York Governor Hochul is probably going to lose. Um, which would be huge for us would give us a little breathing room. She is on the attack. She um, so that'll be that'll be um, helpful for us. Um, so you know we'll, we'll just keep an eye on it and see and see what what happens. But uh, you know uh, you know I think the firebombing of our of our medical office in Buffalo ultimately ended up defeating Hochul because she went on the attack. She actually added added insult to injury when she started to investigate us instead of the the arsonists. So anyway, uh, yeah, that, that's that's my prediction. I think I think there's, there's going to be a significant uh, red wave, as it's been described, but precisely because uh, of, of people's concern about the abortion problem in America. All right. And uh, your websites, social media, anything like that you want to throw out there? Yeah, if people want to learn more about how Compass Care is serving women and saving lives, not just in terms of uh, New York, but also across the country and helping other pregnant centers do the same, they can go to compasscarecommunity.com. That's compasscarecommunity.com. All right. Again, you've been very generous with your time this evening. I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon, and hopefully we'll be celebrating some uh, major victories that are going to help bring back the idea that preborn life is worth uh, saving. Uh, again, thank mm -hmm. you so very much. Uh, God bless. Godspeed. Keep up the great work. I really appreciate everything you're doing, sir. God bless you, Tim. Thank you, folks. All right, guys, that was uh, Reverend James Harden. He is the president and CEO of Compass Care, but uh, more than that, he's a man on the front lines trying to save preborn baby humans everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back after this very brief break. 
So I'll say this. The president has been very clear, you know, as you know, the president has been very clear, very clear, very, very clear. We need more money to plan for the second pandemic. He's been very clear. There's going to be another pandemic. The president is doing what the president is. Your, the president is. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. These are items that the president has been very clear on. End of quote. Repeat the line. And so the president has been very clear. The president has been very clear. I was going to put him uh, foot. Excuse me. The president has been very clear. Like a billion, two hundred million, seven hundred seven, 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 seven thirty-seven thousand, seven, seven thirty, seven hundred thirty. Very, very clear. All you got to do is look what is being played on, played the, 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 this morning. Look, the president has been very clear. But is he going to specify exactly? No, but he has. The best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you, that you uh, um, like to be able to. Anyway. That's right. Anyway. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to have to be pretty much it for tonight. I want to thank you for listening all the way through. Hope you enjoyed those uh, conversations that I had today. Uh, it was very purposeful that uh, I brought on two men of faith uh, on Election Day. And for those of you that will be listening after the fact, it's still an important message because the one thing we really do need to recall, even if you are not a Christian, even if you don't have a, a really good handle on what your spirituality actually is, it's very vital to remember that what made America work as well as it did for as long as it has is those fundamental principles and rediscovering the covenant that exists. Uh, it's an important first step. But then remembering that we should value life, that there is a sanctity in life, that there should be an unspoken, undeniable belief that all life is important. We've got to be able to move past the point where we're arguing over Black Lives Matter. Oh, well, if you say all lives matter, then you're cheapening the experience. No, you're not. You're making an acknowledgement that, yes, black lives do matter, but so does everyone else's. We have to find a way to live together first and foremost. And I honestly believe, and I think most of you do too, that if we if we re establish those founding fundamental principles, if we find those those things that we all can agree on, even if we agree on them for different reasons, that that's a first step towards saving the republic and helping to make sure that everybody who comes here the right way and who is a part of this country, that we can move forward together in a positive way. We have to start respecting ourselves. We have to start respecting other people once we do that. And then, once that respect is established, then we can start finding the good in each other again. Very different than the direction and the path that certain folks would have on us. It is election day, so tomorrow is day one of holding folks accountable. Holding people's feet to the fire. In the meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, don't take my word for it. Please don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really 
want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, final message tonight for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. 
But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our, our be- priests, bishops and pastors refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told Told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war and someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within spiritually morally economically he believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better red than dead or as one commentator put it he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet and therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which evil must not advance. In the words of Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.